the water park scene in the show was just just like amazing. It was this 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 moment in this kind of like this protracted time war they were having, right? The the faculty versus the students at, at the time travel academy, and uh, it was sort of this accumulating moment because the students thought they had figured out a way to uh, avoid all the timeline changes, which they were not able to remember. Right? That that's the idea when the timeline changes. The, in this version of time travel, right, it's it's just it's, there's only one copy of each person. So literally there's one timeline that keeps getting edited over and over again. And the idea is that, you know, like normally you just lose your memories of what had happened. So the uh, that accumulating scene where the faculty altered events and somehow broke into their secret hideout and manipulated events so that on the same day, in the new timeline, they all were having like this iconic summer day at this incredible water park. All of like it was like a class trip to this incredible water park with water slides and wave pools and fun in the sun and everything else. It was sort of meant to be this this like amazing day that everyone remembered. Um, so yeah, what happened? I mean, it was sort of like uh, in the show. It was uh, you know it starts off. And it's kind of derivative. I mean, we've seen sort of academy or what is an academy? Is that like a college or is that more like a special high school? I'm not sure. But anyway, it's like a college with students and faculty, right? And we saw it a little bit like with um, – it does seem – this show does seem to be a little bit like derivative, kind of like with um, the Umbrella Academy, right? And there's a lot of time travel in that show as well, spoiler alert. Um, but there's not really the fight with the faculty between the students and the faculty. Mm, I don't think so. I mean, I saw it, but I'm not, I can't quite remember. But of course, recently, Gen V, the TV show on Amazon Prime, a spinoff from The Boys, very much that thing where it's like a, like a, a superhero college. There's no time travel, though, but like the students versus the faculty. There's like this dark secret, right? So, anyway, in this one, um, this is, it's a time travel college, and it, it feels like it's, it, it, it's not using time machines. It essentially, there are people that have this sort of innate bil- ability to travel in time. It's a sort of like a superpower. It's not really, you know, it's not like uh, technology. It's like a superpower. So I guess similar to all of these other sort of uh, tropes, the superhero colleges, the X-Men, of course, uh, Charles Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters, right? Um, in this case, it's it's for, and of course, the big one in recent history is Harry Potter, that if you turn out to be a wizard, well, some people know they're wizards, other people or muggle-born and whatever. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. And I think there was something of that in Harry Potter as well, right? The students versus the faculty, or especially the students versus the the government, which is coming very fascistic as this Harry Potter story goes along. It's all a big blur to me now. I did read the books, though, and I watched the movies. But I can't embrace Harry Potter as much as a, someone that was younger. I was too old when Harry Potter came around for me to really feel as foundational part of my life as I do, for example, with Star Wars. But anyway, so in this show... I would it like starts off, um, you know. I guess it would be these 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 young adults find out they have this time travel power, and very quickly they're they're contacted by a representative of this school. Again, we've this is very tropey. It's very we've seen this before, and they they come to the school to be trained in how to use their their powers, and it all seems very innocent at first, but then. So we get to know the students, and this, of course, is very exciting. We'd all like to think that there was something special about us, and someone's going to come contact us. You have a special power. You have to come to a special school. What was that? What was that other show? That, the Magicians. That they, they had a, a very similar thing with like a magical college, right? Yes, and they would contact people that had the power, 
we see this over and over again. So this show was not necessarily super original, but it was it was really really cool how they did, especially the water park scene as we're getting to. Um, so right, these are people that have this innate ability to tr- to travel through time. That is, they can just think and use some sort of personal ability and travel backwards or forwards in time. So um, eventually they realize there's something darker going on and they're actually being used or manipulated by the faculty of the school um, for some sinister purpose that they don't want the students to know. And and so a, a students start noticing this phenomenon, which is where when the timeline changes, there's this brief moment where you're like, wait a minute, like my hair was was, was blonde the other day, not, not, not brunette. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and then... A couple moments later, they sort of forget everything, and, and the new memory is is in there. Um, but some students are able to. So this idea that your memory is is wiped, I see a change here happening. There was even a scene, uh, you know, where one of the characters that was sort of able to uh, perceive and remember some of the changes, like in a dorm room at one point during the height of the time war, like everything, like posters are changing. Objects are changing, clothing is changing, like people are changing, and the uh, the the students that are not able to like they don't have this, but they somehow this one student is able to kind of uh, retain memories across these timeline wipes, seeing these things change because there's so the time war, and this is actually something that also was in um, Lost, right? The TV show Lost, they implied a time war, though they kind of abandoned that, going further into it, as I recall. The idea that you know any any set of groups that have access to time travel can always go further back in time, to, and they're in a conflict. They can always go further back in time to undermine what the other group is doing, and the, and each group keeps going further and further back in time uh, to try to uh, alter things. In fact, uh, a couple of years ago, I actually one of my far out theories um, about this was in 2020, in the early days of the COVID pandemic, um, that uh, perhaps this was the result of a time war going on that uh you know one group trying to shut down the other group usually able to target particular events but in this case they couldn't figure out how to stop a certain thing so they just literally shut down the entire world with this uh, pandemic that's just obviously a far out theory but uh an edge case is that an edge case it's 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 uh, a, a a flight of fancy let's let's just say um, but anyway, so in the show, um, right, normally, right, so you're manipulating, the faculty are able to manipulate the students, and anytime they find anything out about the more sinister purposes that are going on, they simply go back in time and prevent them from learning about it, right? They're able to do that, though the students also have time travel abilities. They're much less experienced. They're much less uh, crafty at it, and, um, you know, it's harder for them to fight back, Right. So eventually, um, one or more students, I think this is sort of how it starts, that uh, there's some capacity or perhaps ability that allows you to, um, if not, you know, it's to retain memories between these timeline wipes, which, of course, in other uh, time travel fiction, um, they sort of say that having uh, those additional memories in your head can cause brain damage. There's too much memories involved. In this case, I think what they're trying to say is that, um, you know, the timelines are all fairly similar, but there's like little details. So certain students are able and perhaps able to um, uh, 
perceive this enough that they know there's something going on. So eventually, like fast forward, the students figure out this 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 technique, this special uh, hideout or safe room. It's like a it's it's a, sort of an empty apartment, right? Um, somewhere, and it's it's sort of it seems like it's sort of like all of the windows are closed, the shutters are down, but it's sort of daytime outside, um, and they're all inside this apartment. And this is where they're able to uh, completely keep track. They're sort of outside of time in some way, and they're able to keep track of um, what is going on. In fact, there's a hallway, and in the hallway are these framed, um, almost they look like kind of like report cards uh, with red pencil marks on them, right? And the thing is, these are all, um, so these are all pieces of paper that were marked by hand, and then at some point in the future collected and framed and put in this um, hallway. And it's sort of like the stats for each individual student that's part of this resistance, right? And and if you look at it, like the, the markings are constantly changing as the timelines are changing. So it's almost like a primitive readout to try and kind of see, right, what how the timeline has been changed through the faculty going back in time and changing things. It was so cool seeing that, right, sort of these... You know, behind glass, these framed um, and really old-looking kind of pieces of paper. They were kind of brown, brown with age, and but these these red pencil marks sort of showing different aspects or characteristics of of the person and how they like the pencil marks just keep changing as the as the time war rages and the timeline is revised endlessly. Um, so from this vantage point, from this. A hideout, which has been kept completely secret from the the faculty, they they've been able to fight back, right, and been able to sort of gain a foothold to start to fight the war. Uh, but then in this this one moment, again, this is the water park scene. Um, this is it was it was really like uh, the closets in one of the rooms. It was like a bedroom. Again, it's, it was a completely sort of empty apartment. There's like no furniture in there. There's sort of like beige carpeting and. Uh, uh, the closets, you know, sort of like a clothes closet. I think it's sort of similar to the ones that are in the house where I grew up. Um, it's not just a solid wood door. It's like there's a series of, like, inch-long slats at, like, 45 degrees, one on top of the other. You know what I'm talking about? It doesn't move or anything. It's just sort of a style. But it's these sort of, of slats, right, diagonal slats on top of each other, if you've ever seen anything like that. So what happened was somehow the faculty uh, found out about the hideout. And uh, you see this one guy. So this one guy, he's part of the faculty. He has, I don't know if you call it like a goatee or it's sort of like the mustache and then just the little, yeah, it's like a goatee kind of kind of uh, facial hair. But it's like he was almost like on fire or uh, all these electrical discharges around his face. His eyes were glowing. And he was, he was, his head just popped out of the, those slats on, on the closet and he had found them, right? They had been looking for this secret hideout and they found it instantly. And the other students were trying to sort of fight back using their powers. Um, but instantly as they're, as they're trying to fight back, they're also, each of them is now sort of, uh, flashing over to the same moment in time. But when they're at that, uh, incredible water park, having fun in the sun, right? And it's almost like from that dingy abandoned apartment to the water park, they're kind of um, shifting over 
and the faculty now that they are able to sort of they, they, they destroy the, the secret base and now all of them are in the water park having fun and most of them are now forgetting the whole thing right they, that's the main thing is that they they sort of know that this is a thing but they just sort of lose all the memories of, of the years they put years of work into creating this hideout and developing this whole system to counteract everything but just the special effects and how it looked it was just sort of like the dingy empty apartment and then the beautiful sunny day and it's almost like like a guy and a girl were sort of like dancing like almost like you, you know when you're, you're holding hands and then spinning around kind of thing it was like this whole like moment of of almost just uh very pleasurable moment of fun in the sun uh, as compared to the apartment. And it was like it, it was and then all of the resistance students were sort of uh, now just at the water park and had kind of forgotten about it and were sort of defeated by the faculty. It was an amazing scene. I really liked that scene. And then, um, yeah, there was that other scene in the show, which was like, uh, yeah, in a dorm room, uh, one of the students, yeah, sort of. Uh, um, is able to see everything changing whereas the other students are just unaware of the changes because their memories are being shifted as soon as the changes are made right the clothing changes, objects like stuffed animals changing to other stuffed animals because the timeline is changing right um, and there's some sense that the kids in the academy are becoming these kind of like these brainwashed uh, soldiers right um, in some sort of maybe a larger time war or something, but they're sort of being victimized. Whereas it's this, this, the time travel academy is sort of they're sort of saying, "Oh, this is so you can learn to control your powers and become a, a, a respected member of the time travel community." But they're really just turning turning them into these these uh, brainwashed uh, soldiers in their in their for whatever purpose. Um, then there was a scene where there was like a road of time. It was in the darkness, and there was a van in, like, you know, like a, a vehicle, a van in outer space. These dark rooms, again, like like inside a closet. There and and the, there were different factions of students that were trying to approach the problem with different. They 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 had a lot of internal disagreements, all this uh, paranoia, and uh, again, I think this one student. It's like these rooms, and one student kind of has an idea of what happened as as they've sort of become these sort of brainwashed like soldiers now and uh yeah then i woke up yes that was my dream what everything i was describing was in my dream that scene in the water park all of the time travel it was absolutely amazing this was the other day so it was on actually 11 11 which was what what was that today's the 14th 13th it's a saturday yeah it was on saturday 11 11 23 that was my dream. Can you imagine? I, I, what an incredible uh, a, a dream of watching. It's like I was watching this incredible show about time travel and the way they, you know, they had these cards that they marked and uh, framed them. And it, it was a way of finding it out. It, was like such, it looks like it would be such a good show. I didn't get a title. Sorry. Uh, but it just it seemed like a great TV show. But it was a dream. Obviously, it was inspired by all the other shows I mentioned. I mean, I have dreams that do tend to uh, be based on things that you've you've seen in the re- in the real world, real quote unquote real world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was my dream. I really liked that one, and I really thought uh, it was. I think it was the middle of the night, and I really f- thought about recording immediately. But I'm like, I I, I just needed to get back to bed, I needed to get back to sleep. So I just wrote it. I wrote it all down.
I'll, I'll read you exactly what I wrote here. Dream 11.11.23. Time Travel Academy, students versus faculty, changing timelines, memories wiped, students set up secret rooms to keep track, framed charts with red markings that change, able to stay one step ahead, finally faculty find them and wipe the whole thing, teacher's head spears through slats and closet door, send them to water park, memories wiped, other time, road of time, darkness, van in space, dark rooms, in closet, different factions of students, paranoia. I don't remember that quite as well, yeah. Afterwards, the rooms, one student has an idea what happened later as brainwashed soldiers. Room with new student as details change, clothing, etc. So, yeah, the van in space part, I don't, I actually don't recall. But the other part, I do remember quite well. <laughs> it's so weird. I remember one part, but not the other part, a van in space. Yeah, it was sort of like being outside of time in a way, which was sort of implied by that apartment as well. That was sort of outside of time. But yeah, that's the that was the uh, that was the time travel academy dream. Nice. So you may remember a, a week or two back, I um, I described another dream where I was at a rock concert and this band came on stage called Jane J A N E. And uh, when I woke up, I, I was trying to find what could this band be, and I couldn't really find anything about a band called uh, Jane. So I kind of forgot about it. Then the other day, I was on, uh, it was probably, yeah, it was probably fr- Friday. It's now Tuesday. I went on Apple Music and the new mu- new rock that was released, and there was these, uh, I guess in the new rock section, uh, reissues of an album uh uh, a group called John Simon's Warlock, and one was a, a collection from '81. One was a collection from '83. So I figured I would I would look up who is this John Simon with his Warlock. It sounded pretty good. Um, John Simon uh, was a British rock musician and composer who lived in Germany from the mid '60s. He was part of the founding generation of the Hanoverian rock scene. He became known to a wider audience in the early 80s as the composer of a rock ballet, Warlock, in which he was also the singer in the accompanying Deutsch rock band, many of whom were members from Jane. <laughs> so I'm like, wait, I read that a few days ago, and I'm like, Jane? What is this Jane band? It turns out Jane is a uh, a rather significant uh, a German band from Hanover, um, here's what it says. Jane is a German progressive rock kraut, kraut rock band that was formed October 1970 in Hanover, Germany. Now, I was in Germany recently. Was I near Hanover? <laughs> I wasn't in, I was only at airports in Germany, but, uh, like, I don't really know, like, where Hanover is related to the other parts of the country. Let's see. Let me use, use the internet here. <laughs> okay. Yes, I was in Munich and Frankfurt, and uh, so that was really nowhere near. Hanover is far to the north of those places. Yeah. (coughs) Yeah. It's like between the Netherlands and Berlin kind of thing. Yeah, I don't have a good mental map of Germany at all for some reason. I want to be good at geography. I want to know all geography. So where was I? I was in Frankfurt, and I also was in Munich, which which they call München. 
did I think they called Frankfurt Frankfurt though, or maybe that's just I don't know what the German word for Frankfurt is. I think it is Frankfurt. So some towns have the same name, and some towns have different names in English. Suppose that's how it works. Anyway, let's see what they say about Jane. Uh, playing a melodious synthesis of symphonic hard rock that has occasionally been compared to Pink Floyd, Hanover Krautrockers Jane can trace their origins back to the late 60s psychedelic band the JP's Justice of Peace. And uh, so, yeah, if you go on to the uh, Prague archives, there's this huge write-up on them, and they have so many albums, starting in uh, 72 and going uh, really up until uh, the 80s. There's uh, tons of albums in the 70s, and then there's one in 80, 82, 86. Then there's a 10-year gap. You have 96, 2002, 2003, 2007. Like, I don't know if this is like reissues or the band has continued in some way. But the most recent one was uh, Jane album in 2016, Werner Nadalny's Jane, The Journey 3, Arrival. So I guess it's like a trilogy of albums, which is weird because I was also looking up the, a band from Germany that's in the same universe as them called Eloy. Eloy. And they had a, a trilogy of albums, and the third one just came out recently, actually, this year, I think. But anyway, this is a really significant band. In, in their genre and so there is a band called Jane from my dream that is so weird and a band that I I'm, could definitely be into there's only they only have one album on Apple Music it's their album Lady from 1975 and I'm listening to it right now this song is Waiting for the Sunshine so this is the band from my dream I guess what's going on with dreams Dreams and reality, you'd be surprised, boy. I just quoted from my grandmother in that weird little movie I made called uh, uh, The Hot Kestrel. Or I named it that after the fact. There were some vocals in this song, but there's a big instrumental section. pretty good right for a dream band no they're real this is their fourth album lady is it sort of in reference to the lady jane you know it's a big rolling stone song my sweet lady jane will i see you again yeah anyway i'll be listening to some jane today they have an interesting logo too it's like they have their special jane logo I had no idea, because when I searched for it, I couldn't find anything. I needed to do a deeper search, but then I found it through a different different avenue, synchronistically, perhaps. Perhaps? Definitely synchronistically. Anyway, uh, today's episode is called Telethons Beneath Dawn. Yes. <clears throat> what could that even mean, Telethons Beneath Dawn? Like, what's a telethon? It's sort of a uh, a marathon television broadcast, trying to, usually trying to raise money for things like, uh, like like the public television telethons. Is it, were those called telethons? Where they're raising money, and you see all the people answering the phones, and your favorite TV shows are being interrupted constantly, and a Jerry Lewis telethon for muscular dystrophy. I think it was these sort of 
long, long broadcasts to raise a lot of money telethons. Uh, beneath dawn, though, telethons beneath the dawn. What is dawn? Dawn is the morning, the beginning of the day. So what is beneath dawn? It's sort of under the horizon in another place that you can't quite see. Could you say beneath dawn could be a, a euphemism for sort of the unseen world? What kind of telethons may they be having there? Telethon. I just love the phrase telethons beneath dawn. It sounds very sounds very potent, <laughs> though it may not actually mean much of anything. I don't know. It sounds good, though. I like it. So uh, the artwork, as you can see, um, this is a, a photograph I took just just the other day, like within the past week, I took this photo. I was uh, driving home, I think, from the supermarket. And I saw outside of Ralph's Pizza, right near where I live, um, here in Nutley, New Jersey, uh, they had received a delivery of some sort of new uh, device. It looks like some sort of re refrigerator unit, though it could be something else. I'm not sure exactly what it is. It sort of has this the shape of a huge sort of box shape, kind of like a refrigerator. And you can sort of see, and I just thought it was so cool, these three guys that worked there were sort of holding it up. And the fifth, the fourth guy was kind of dealing with the packaging material. I thought it was, it looked kind of cool. It was kind of an interesting image. So I I just whipped out my phone. I, I think I took a couple shots. Wasn't really sure how I, how I did. When I looked at them here, I, I noticed that uh, this one uh, also has very prominently my rearview mirror. And uh, this, I don't know what model of car that is, but sort of a very aggressive looking car behind me and perhaps a delivery van at the distance behind me. But all together, uh, and, I, and I, all I did was crop in, I made it black and white, and I added a little bit of a sepia tone, sort of a brown tone to it. But other than that, this is exactly the picture I took. And uh, I just thought it was sort of so rife with meaning at so many levels. You know, you see sort of the window with the the old pottery inside. You see some sort of sign for some sort of event. What does that say, actually? It's something. Race for ALS, Belleville, something. Oh, I, I guess it's, again, kind of a, well, that would be sort of, I didn't realize, sort of connected to like a telethon, raising money for, uh, was it Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS? I think that's what, what it is, yeah. Um, that's weird. So there is a telethon connection there. Um, hmm. Yeah, and then also underneath the uh, the rearview mirror is 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 uh, a line painted on the road, but it's sort of in the same shape as the the monolithic shape as as the device they're holding up. And then in the rearview mirror, it's, you can't really see the driver of the car. It's sort of yeah, it's sort of weirdly blanked out with the compression of the of the of the JPEG. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, but you'll see like like a street light, a big tree in the in the, down the road, the, all those electrical wires hanging. Yeah, it's a very cool image. It has a lot of a lot of symbolic content. So that like the mirror means looking backwards, the delivery of this new thing that is sort of looking forwards in a way, and all telethons beneath dawn. <laughs> There's a lot going on here. Um, so where did this con where, where did telethons beneath dawn come from? It's not from a dream, though. It sounds like the kind of phrase I would get in a dream or the hypnopompic state. No, it's it is simply an anagram. I was playing around with anagrams as I often do, and um, it's in, what so so. What do you think is an anagram of 
telethons beneath dawn. If you want to pause and try to figure it out, then we'll come back and give you the answer. Okay, we're back. It's an anagram of the Beatles, now and then. You know, Beatles uh, recently put out their last song, or so they said, their very last song. Uh, So if you take the Beatles, now and then, it can be rearranged to spell telethons beneath dawn. So when I saw that, I'm like, yes, that's a cool phrase. So I, I wrote that down. So that's the answer. That's where it came from. So, and it kind of relates to the more mysterious side of the Beatles, right? Where were they involved? Were they sort of the creation of some sort of shadow organization? With Paul, did Paul die and was replaced with this somewhat lookalike person? Uh, you know, was it the project meant to be related to some sort of mass societal change that was desired by the shadow group? I know these are all conspiratorial kind of topics, and certainly we don't know about it, but I, I just I find the suggestion of such things to be actually quite fascinating. Um, there may not be any truth to it. They may just have been four lads from Liverpool, yada, yada. And they just, they just happened to uh, come upon the idea that it would be cool to include all of this symbolism of Paul dying in their, in their records for some unknown reason. Someone online is like, oh, it was a marketing gimmick. Really? Is that a good marketing gimmick? I get I don't know. <laughs> anyway. There you go. Telethons being thought. But I really do love this image. I thought it was quite good. Um, yeah, and just not, not AI, not weird Photoshop. They just add the actual image. Though, again, I did make it black and white, and I did add that brownish tone to it. But other than that, it is the actual image. And it's cropped, obviously. So one thing I love doing, of course, is looking at old magazines on the Internet Archive. There's always new ones being uploaded. And uh, someone uploaded a ton of uh, the magazine comics scene uh, from Starlog. I kind of remember this magazine. It was an offshoot of Starlog uh, just for the comic books, basically. And this is the first issue from uh, January 1981. And it has uh, Jim Shooter and Stan Lee on the cover building the Marvel Empire. See, even back then. Uh, interesting, this set of superheroes they have. They have uh, Spider-Man, Scarlet Witch, Doctor Doom, Black Panther, Dazzler, Thing, Conan, Giant Man, Captain America, Power Man, and Thor, and then in the foreground, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, <clears throat> so, I'm browsing through here. They always had these, like, monster masks were always a big thing back then. I don't think I ever bought any of these monster masks. (coughs) This is... Oh, straight from Starlog they're selling them. That was a big thing back then, getting monster masks for some reason. Um, Yeah, going through, there's a lot of really cool stories in here. Uh, But towards the back of the magazine... Wait, what is this? Oh, I like this. This is an ad for comic book stores in Connecticut. You have The Bookie in East Hartford, Jim's Comics in Waterbury, Space Travelers in Derby, FNS Comics in New Milford, Mostly Books in Farmington, and Buried Under in Manchester. All stores serviced by Shamara Publishing Distributing, Inc. 
<laughs> I guess the distributor made the ad for all of the comic stores they serve. Yeah, there were di- many different comic uh, distributors back then. A number of years after this, in 1988-ish, uh, uh, I, I, I published a comic book with my friend Mad Mike, and we had to deal with all the different uh, distributors. At the time, there was around 12 or 13, I, I think. Then Diamond Comics became like the monopoly, and then now it's back to being broken up again. But <clears throat> what I found so interesting is on this. There's a lot to see in here. Whole articles about a <clears throat> like heavy metal, the magazine and the movie. Saturday mornings, like Thunder the Barbarian. See, this is '81. This is this is around the time I joined the uh, high school cross country team for one day on a Saturday and missed the first episode of Thunder the Barbarian, and I. Decided to quit the cross-country team so I could watch more cartoons. <laughs> See, who knows how, how life would have been different if I became an athlete. <laughs> anyway, t- towards the back of the magazine here, there's an ad for Quality Comics, which was my local comic store that was very important to me. I hadn't quite yet discovered it in 81. But, yeah, here's the ad. Uh, this is really amazing that it's here. I, I didn't know that they had uh, this guy, Alex, that ran the store. I didn't know that he put ads like this out. It says, since 1976, and there's a cool photo montage showing King Kong, Christopher Reeve Superman, Art, uh, C-3PO, Kirk and Spock, um, The Prisoner, all sorts of different things. And quality comics in that font. I know that font. It's... Uh, Sort of this galaxy font they used to have in um, those art resource books. I know I've seen it before. Um, our fifth year, <coughs> right? So it started in 76. Quality Comics has been known for fast and friendly and dependable, courteous service. For comic books, movie stuff, fanzines, monster magazines, science fiction, gum cards, and pulps. Send for free Marvel and DC price list. You'd need a time machine to get a better copy. Quality Comics, A, why there's an A there, um, 14 Division Street, Somerville, New Jersey, 08876, we're open every day. All characters, copyright 1981, respective copyright holders. <laughs> it's so cool to see that. That's just so wild because that store, I, th- I think around uh, 83, 84, my brother and I started going there and became part of the subculture there. Even worked, I even worked for, for the Quality Comics for, for a while. Um, yeah, so cool seeing this ad from 81. And I, as you may know, I did see Alex uh, a couple years ago and had a long conversation with him. He still works at the store on Division Street uh, um, Incognito. I always want to get him on the show. Eventually, maybe I will. Some people are very hard, like this guy, Alex. So my cousin Vinny, I got him on the show for about three minutes uh, recently. So maybe I'll, I can get Alex at least for a few minutes. I, I, you know, I know I have to go down there and find him and talk to him um but yeah it's a very cool ad from quality comics and they they stayed uh i guess they he he shut down a a dedicated source quality comics sometimes in the in early mid 90s but then it continued as part of um his girlfriend's store incognito and then i think the whole comics division kind of disappeared i'm not sure what happened but anyway (laughs) you know what i'm talking about so cool to see it. I guess that's sort of like it's so wild. Like 
to have like an ad in an old magazine like that, it sort of retains the information so well about the store that existed because scans of these old magazines and actual copies of these old magazines will persist on into the future. I had one of those like timeline jump things today. It was really weird. So, you know, um, usually I'll take a shower, you know, early in the morning, but sometimes I wait till a little bit later because I'm being lazy. I do take a shower every day. Um, so, um, my wife Denise told me, oh, that, that her mother's coming over to help her clean some stuff up. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess I better take a shower because I didn't take my shower yet. I was completely convinced that I, I, I hadn't taken a shower yet. And uh, I don't I didn't remember doing it. I'm like, okay, I have to take a shower. And then, like a few minutes later, I'm like, wait a minute, I already took a shower. I look down, and I'm all dressed and shower. I'm like, wait, what? I don't know, I was just, yeah, it was a weird... I normally wouldn't think anything of it. I just, you know, like lately, like yesterday is one of those days, and this has happened not every day, but it happens. These there's a weird time period, you know, since uh, my wife, you know, broke her shoulder. It's like, sort of like like the days just sort of drain away so quickly. Like yesterday, it was like morning, and then it felt like a few minutes later it was like nighttime and i know it gets dark earlier now cuz it's getting more towards you know winter now you know the solstice whatever but that's just a whole other issue just it, weird things with time so i don't know it's just sort of like one day is sort of blending into the next and uh but i wouldn't even mention it unless i talked about the dream where the characters in this show in the dream were experiencing this thing where the past was constantly changing and they were sort of uh you know, that one character was aware of the changes, but I don't know. It was, pr- it was probably just sort of a mental lapse on my part, but I just wanted to mention it was weird. It was, yeah, it's strange. Anyway, we have a postcard here of some guys fishing. <coughs> Mono Hot Spring Resort. Great trout fishing on the south fork of the San Joaquin River and at Mono Hot Springs. Visit us at monohotsprings.com. And it's addressed to Frank and Denise Nora. It's like, let's let's commune with nature sometime. No return address, but it's from San Francisco, California. So I know this is from Simon. Yes, yeah, Simon from Nevada, who uh, uh, often comes on the exit ramp. Yes, thank you, Simon, for the postcard. He, and he was meant, he at mentioned this postcard on uh, the exit ramp. We were talking about communing with nature, and I'm like, I need to commune with nature more. So this was a actually a reference from the exit ramp. Kind of cool, something from the exit ramp actually put pen to paper and through the mail very very 20th century or actually very 19th century too or 18th century when did it st- when did the mail start <coughs> the, like mail service I don't know anyway you know what I'm saying or look a forever stamp remember the first forever stamp it was like so wild it was like um And the forever stamp is basically a, a first-class postage stamp that doesn't uh, that is always good. So when they raise the price, as I suppose, I don't I have no idea what the price is anymore for a first-class letter or postcard or whatever. Um, so that the forever stamp just is always good for one piece of mail or whatever. The first one was like this: uh, is the Earth stamp, 
and it showed the earth with this like huge like cosmic explosion behind it or something what was up with that earth stamp i think that let me see earth stamp what no ups for me yeah yeah here it is here it is yeah yeah <laughs> earth posted earth stamp right yeah so it's it's an image of the earth with this like yellow and orange like cosmic explosion or something behind it some sort of cosmic event behind the earth it's really weird what was that even meant to be it's not the sun because it's coming out both sides it's like weird man weird artwork I remember when that came out what year was that 90 1988 wow yeah yeah it's not really you can get it pretty pretty cheap I think eBay get a bunch of them yeah, I, think, can, I think they still work too right 20 stamps for <coughs> 780 I guess they're still good I don't know it said they were originally 25 cents interesting the earth stamp with the cosmic phenomenon behind it I don't know if there's ever any uh, explanation for that. Anyway, some uh, good news. Um, the replacement game worked. I remember last episode I was kind of bummed because uh, I bought this uh, video game. Of, of, of a new kind of uh, video game. I have it right here, actually, the new one. It looks like a Game Boy. Something like a Game Boy, but it's actually uh, um, a multi-system. So you just stick in a, a micro SD card and you just fill it up with ROMs, and it has this uh, all the emulators built in. Right? Let me turn it on here, and um, you play thousands of games, if not tens of thousands of games. And uh, you might recall from last episode, the one I got kind of broke. It was just like a it was a lemon, basically. It was not good. It was it just it broke after about using it for about you know like one day. It just kind of died. Um, so let's see. <coughs> so I ordered I ordered another one. On, it was very easy on Amazon to just get a replacement, and now I have till like February to to drop off the old one. Which is pretty pretty lenient on their part, and. Um, so this one, you know, it's it's really interesting what's going on here. Like, uh, it comes from China. It's it's this. If you're interested, is the Anne Burnick model RG thirty five XX, and uh, they have a newer model as well, the V, um, which is quite a bit more expensive and does newer games. But I didn't want to go overboard with this. I thought this was a cool idea because they also ship it with a card with thousands of games on it, right? Um, With, you know, I guess there's, I guess interesting, and this is also happening in all realms of uh, video game emulation. There's this huge trend towards collecting everything together, which I think is great. Um, sort of without regard to those pesky copyright laws. I don't think any, I think, uh, you know, I don't think it's, you know. Obviously, if the company's in China, it's going to be kind of hard to, you know, get to them. But it's weird. It's great. I love it. So you buy this thing, it's like $70, and it has a card with thousands of games on it, but it's kind of a weird selection, and all the stuff I read said the card they use is very low quality, a micro SD card. 
So they suggest getting an, another one. So I actually bought one on eBay that someone put together. I probably did. I probably could have just bought my own micro SD card and did the whole pro. I just didn't. I've done this kind of thing so many times. I didn't even feel like doing it. I just want to have something I can play. Anyway, I got the replacement unit. I got the new micro SD card. I plugged it in, and it works. And uh, you know, it is a, a slightly better set of games. But the new card was missing stuff that was on the old card, including the Pico games. Um. Game and Watch and uh, what they call ports and all sorts of stuff was missing. So I was actually able to take off some of the stuff that was on the first card and put it on the new card. Additionally, I downloaded another set of ROMs because they didn't have a lot of stuff like Coleco or 7800 or 5200 on here. So I threw that on there as well. So th- what I have on the card now is sort of a con- conglomerate of, of different sources. Um, probably way over 10,000 games on here now and uh, yeah just been having a lot of fun just sort of going around and checking it out of course it's really cool just especially as a uh, PlayStation emulator of course uh, the game I love is on there R4 it was on the previous one too you know Ridge Racer Type 4 let's see Ridge Racer yeah let's, let's put that on you know, it's just so great. It's like a little Game Boy, but it's you can play PlayStation, PlayStation One, and the new one can do up to pl- PS Two, I think. Ooh, so I'm in the middle of a game here. Yeah, I was also playing this on my computer. All right, what am I doing here? Anyway, you get the idea. I'll go back. Um, so yeah, but so they basically have MAME, which is arcade games, Atari Twenty Six Hundred, ColecoVision, which is not working. I have to troubleshoot that. Capcom, uh, Play Systems One, Two, and Three, Final Burn. I don't really know how that differs from anything else. NES, of course, Fifty Two Hundred, Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, Game Boy Color, Game Gear, Game and Watch, a lot of handheld games and television. Atari Lynx, Genesis, Master System, Neo Geo, Neo Geo Pocket, Turbo Graphics, Turbo Graphics CD, Pico Eight. Pokemon Mini, Ports, PlayStation, Sega CD, SG-1000, which I think is the predecessor to... Um, it's, like, it's sort of like the Sega equivalent of like an NES before Genesis. Atari 7800, Super Nintendo, Supervision, Genesis 32X, Vectrex, and Wonderswan. And Wonderswan Color. So... What was that game I was checking out on the 5200? It was interesting. It was a uh, K-Razy... Crazy shootout, I think. Right? It's interesting. I I, I uh, remember seeing these games that were crazy, K hyphen R A Z Y, crazy, almost like crazy taxi. But crazy shootout is in, a very interesting. Um, clearly, <laughs> a berserk a clone. Where is my crazy shootout? And most of the K-Razy games were only on the Atari 8-bit computers, but this one was on a 5200, which obviously is a very similar, if not the same, platform. But it's the only K-Razy game. It has this very distinctive packaging from CBS Electronics. It's uh, a black background and uh, yellow letters, I think in, what's that font? Aachen, maybe? Uh, and then red, a red band at the top and bottom, CBS Electronics. Let's play some K-Razy shootout. Um, so, I mean, this is, uh, oof, 
the animation of your character dying takes a bit too long, but um, very interesting. It's it's of obviously you know based on Berserk, which is you're in a maze, series of rooms, and you're fighting, you're shooting robots basically. Um, but it has a bit of a different vibe, and it's a uh, a lot more, kind of a lot more going on. <laughs> but I'm doing horribly. I mean, I'm like. You have to really be careful. Like, if you get anywhere near one of the robots, you just die. That's it. I scored 710. Let's try again here. But this has a nice big screen, and it's it's wild. So, like, like these kind of games. Like, I was talking about those pr other games where you get, like, just a tiny handful of games. But you don't have to worry about all the configurations and all the issues and all of the formatting and everything. It's just all built in. That uh, Super Pocket I was looking at, it, it just, I cannot justify getting a game that has like 17 games for the same price you can get, you know, 10,000 games. I, I, I just could not justify the other one. But what else was I playing? Oh, oh yeah, I was playing uh, the first Crash Bandicoot on, on, um, on PlayStation 1. I'm gonna actually finish a screen here. It doesn't. It doesn't talk. Get the humanoid. Get the intruder. Well, I don't think Berserk talked on here either. Oh, I have to. I have to exit the screen and not hit into any walls to get through the level. Kind of a cool game. Crazy shootout. I was trying to figure out how to pronounce it. Crazy. Some people said crazy. I like that. Crazy shootout. Ooh. Anyway, that's a good game. Let's go back. But what about... Do they have regular Berserk on here? Let's see. Yeah, they have regular... So Berser regular Berserk... Is it... Yeah, I didn't try the regular Berserk. <coughs> here we go. I don't know. I kind of like Crazy Shootout better. Well, it's just because I'm not used to it. I mean, I... I've what? It actually... Wow, Evil Otto came very quickly. Evil Otto is a smiley face. Well, they do... Wow, they actually do the voice on 5200. Wow. I think that was a bit early for Evil Otto. Then when you blow up each robot, there's a... Barely you can see this little smiley face that... Looks like Evil Otto, the uh, smiley face robot. Yeah, I don't know. And you never know. Like, was this the actual version that was out in the 80s? Because there's a lot of uh, homebrews that come out on these things as well. Any other uh, interesting stuff? There's so much interesting stuff in here. It's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, I gotta put more Sega CD stuff in there. There's only one game in there at this point. How about Vectrex? <laughs> this seems to be, you know, it seems to be kind of. It has trouble with the vertical games. It kind of stretches out the screen, and I haven't really figured out how to fix that. Um, let's play Spike. That was always an. That has a voice too. Vectrex Spike. I actually remember seeing. Oh, or was it Spike's Peak? I remember seeing it at a video game show in 83 in New York City. 
Spike, help! Is this the game? Eek, help, Spike, oh no, but the uh, voice uh, process is not uh, working on this emulator. I mean, this is a really... <laughs> it's a bizarre vector scan uh, game. Oh, what is that, a key? I need the key. Uh-oh. How do you... Can you jump? What can you do as Spike? Oh, you can jump. Okay. Okay. Darn it. He's supposed to say, darn it. Why can't we hear Spike? What the hell kind of game is this? And they, had, they don't have the overlays. I mean, I'm sure... This is the kind of thing I'm sure I could probably figure out how to apply the overlays and stuff and get the aspect ratio right, but... He's like this little star guy that... You know, yeah, it's very annoying. I, I This no game is pissing me off. Stop. <laughs> it's annoying the hell out of me. What's that game that um, started off on Vectrex and then it became an arcade game? This, uh, I think it was Cosmic Chasm, perhaps. It could be Cosmic Chasm. Whoa, that didn't sound good. <laughs> if you never had a, a Vectrex, you, you just had to look up what it looked like. It's a very cool, it's like self-contained. It had its own screen. It was a vertical vector scan screen. It was beautiful. I had a, I had a couple of them later in later days, and I, then I got rid of them. Um, but it was a very fast, it was very expensive back in the day, you know. Mission one. <laughs> what the hell am I looking at? Yeah, my, uh, if you know uh, Dave Copperman from um, the uh, Train Crap and Blood, and he's he came on Exit Ramp once too. What am I doing? How do how do I move? Okay, here we go. Cosmic Chasm's kind of cool. You're in this cosmic maze, and you have this tank, and you're like. Uh, I tried to go through the door, but it destroyed me. It must have been a force field. This is pretty cool, actually. And yeah, you can run emulators on your phone, but this has the controls built in. It's sort of a dedicated little video game system anyway. You see what I'm saying. I want to look at more of those crazy games. All right, hopefully this will keep working. <laughs> There's so many like this, though. It's a whole new realm of, uh, you know, retro gaming. I just love browsing through the games and trying games I never tried and uh, sort of discovering things. That's what I love. Crazy shootout. That was from 1981. Another thing from 19... There's certain years that this always like keep repeating. 1981. Let's see. Okay, so the crazy games. Let's see. Uh... K-Byte was the name of the company, K-Byte, and I guess they were distributed by CBS Electronics. Working with Epix on porting world games to PC platform, K-Byte consisted of these bunch of people. So they had a crazy shootout, which we're talking about, which was on 5200 and the 8-bit computers, the 400, 800, etc. Then there is Crazy Critters, only on Atari 8-bit, Crazy Antics, on 8-bit and VIC-20, and then K-Star Patrol. So instead of K-Razy, it's K-Star. K-Star Patrol, also on Atari 8-bit and VIC-20. 
and they all have this kind of I, I do remember seeing the packaging for these in magazine ads in stores and things I was I don't know why I was always slightly annoyed by um, the packaging of this I don't know it's not bad it's just yeah um, there's also a game they released called Mountain King um, on a bunch of different consoles with that same packaging I do think I had Mountain King at some point let's see Mountain King was out for a bunch of uh, platforms and it's kind of a it's a platform game where you're inside a mountain trying to collect all the gold and some sort of invisible demon trying to kill you of course there is <coughs> let's see where did it I like these crazy games uh, I thought it says what it's out on um, Commodore 64 Vic 20 Atari 8-bit Atari 5200 Atari 2600 and ColecoVision okay can we play Mountain King now I mean it should be on there, but I see. I don't know. I don't know. The, the sets of games are all kind of random. It's not like that uh, Pleasure Dome set that I, I played, that I got a few years back, that has like literally everything. All right, let's see. Mountain King. To turn it on, you have to hold it down for one, two, like three seconds, and then let go. <laughs> I want to figure out the least amount of time I need to hold it down in order to start it. And also, whoever threw this this particular chip together like took away like the settings options. So I don't know. I can always fix it. I can fix it. Uh, when are we looking for Mountain King? Let's see. Yes, they have it. Nice. From K-Byte, once like CBS Electronics presents Mountain Kings by Mountain King by K-Byte. Oh, I didn't start yet. Okay. Yeah, it's like you're just wandering around this mountain. I guess the sound's not really working too well on this game. Oh yeah, you have a flashlight. I think you have to use the flashlight to see the invisible demon or something. I never could figure out the whole deal with this game and the. Uh, you have a flashlight, and you can jump by pressing up. Okay. Yeah. And then there's this... I, guess, I don't know if it was invisible because, like, they couldn't really have a graphic. They didn't have enough memory for the graphics. It's some sort of invisible monster that you have to f avoid. Yeah, I don't know about this game. <laughs> this sounds not really working. Anyway. Anything else good? Of course. Let's just try one arcade game, too. I mean, there's got to be a good arcade game in here. It has a very sort of sketchy set of arcade games. Uh, I know I can put more in there. It has this the Blueprint by Midway. What the hell kind of game is this? This was never a good game, Blueprint. They tried with it, at least. And I, I do think that the home version was from CBS Electronics as well, of Blueprint, with that same packaging. I don't... I I don't know if I ever really saw Blueprint that much out in the wild, and I don't know. Let's see. Let's play some Blueprint. Maybe it'll maybe it'll have sound. I don't know. No, it's not working. Hold on. <sighs> okay. You're like this dude. I I can't get it to I can't, I can't get it to start. No. Ooh ooh. Wait a second. 
This is the arc arcade version, I think. So I don't even know what to do here. Oh, it's a bomb! Okay. He died. Jesus. Okay, so you're this, you're this little, like, blue or green guy that has to, like... Ah! You gotta find pieces of your... You have to go in these houses. You're in a town. I know this. I know this sounds like I'm making it up. Okay, you, you're this dude, and you have to go in the houses, and you have to find the pieces of your device. But at the same time, I, what am I doing? How can I go in that house? But mo but sometimes there's a bomb, and then you have to drop it in the bomb pit. And then at the top, there's this weird like monster creature chasing this woman. <laughs> what is going on with this game? Uh-oh, and now some weird monster is going to attack me. Uh-oh, a bomb! Let me take it to the... No, there's no way... There's no way I can get to the bomb pit in time. This game sucks, okay? High score of the day, get out of here. Get out of here. I don't like I don't like blueprint. What the hell kind of game is this? The game sucks, okay? I'm sorry. Get, it sucks. It's kind of a cool little system, though. Cosmic Avenger. Yeah, that was also on uh, Coleco. Home version. That's a very obscure game. Lock and... They do have Lock and Chase. Okay, hold on. This Remember, I was obsessed with Lock and Chase? Of course. But they only have the Deco cassette system version, so we have to, like, pretend there's a cassette tape running, and it's going to take, like... Oh, my God. It's going to take forever to load the cassette tape now. Oh, it's not even loading. Okay, it's just not working. <laughs> I, I think you're getting the sense that a lot of the stuff just doesn't work. <laughs> you know? But since there's 10,000 games on here, it's kind of okay. You just move on to the next one. You know? I don't know why everything's not working so much. <laughs> oh, Crossbow. That's a good game. I wonder if we can play Crossbow. That's a cool game. It's like a shooting game. The whole is that, that company Exidy. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I don't even know what's on here. I'm just sort of randomly finding stuff to play on here. But in the arcade, it was an actual like physical crossbow, and you were shooting. Things booting up now. Obviously, it's a to move the cursor around because normally you just aim and shoot. Uh, the checksum is okay. Okay. Great, the checksum. EPROM 2 initialize. Okay, here. Alright. Let's play some games. You, you hit the select button to insert a coin. Insert coin. Table of sharpshooters. You will die! Gee, very friendly game. You will die. So yeah, there's all these like little little dudes that you have to like save. So first this Robin Hood guy's going to a town. And uh, you have to, like, he's walking down the street, but you have to, like, shoot. There's all these, like, scumbags in the windows, like witches and monsters and ghosts and stuff. Shooting fire fireballs at the guy. Don't shoot your friend. So you have to, like, try to... And then there's a dwarf, like a dwarf with an axe. Here's a lightning bolt coming from the sky. So you got to try to save your friends from all of these horrible things, like werewolves, ghosts. It's like an evil, a town of evil. Here's, like, an Amazon woman. It's very hard. It's very hard with the uh, cursor. It's very hard to play. 
Oh, she got killed by a ghost in a very grisly fashion. The ghost, like, set her on fire, and she just sort of, like, melted. Now, never mind. In this same series of games, there's a game called um, Chiller, I believe, where you actually, like, are torturing people in, uh, like, shooting their flesh off. What's wrong with these people? Was it called Chiller? I think it was. Yeah. Very dark sense of humor on this Exidy people. All right, now here's a bridge. And there's all these evil fish and birds that are trying to kill your friends. This game's... It doesn't suck, but I can't play it in this... I, I, I need, you know... I would normally... Oh, the Robin Hood guy is dead. I only have my dwarf left. And a pterodactyl is coming. Oh, somehow it avoided him. I guess because he's short. <laughs> he survived. Ooh, but he got hit by a boulder. It fell from the sky. And that's game over, I guess. The end. Thank you for playing. Thank you. What the hell kind of games are these? <laughs> do, do they have chiller? Is it, is it called chiller? I, I may be wrong. Maybe it's not called chiller. But I figure if they have that game, they might. Have, oh, they do have chiller. Okay. <laughs> this game is very disturbing. I don't know. If, I don't even know how how this game. Like you, you're like torturing people and and shooting their flesh off. Like that's not good. This game takes too long to boot. But anyway, let's see. Let's play some chiller. I think there's one thing where there's like someone's head in a vice and you shoot the vice to like crush their skull. That's not nice. Who are these people at this company, Exidy? They're, they're a bunch of maniacs over there at Exidy. Let's just see. I'm going to play one round of Chiller, then we'll, then we'll like continue on here. Alright, here we go. Chiller, 86, 1986, Exidy, Inc. Best. <laughs> Jesus. All right, let's see what we can do here. Torture chamber, back room, hallway, graveyard. Use these clues to find hidden items for bonus and chance at free game. Yeah. Yeah, this is like really not cool. There's a guillotine you can chop someone's head off. It's, it's like, yeah, way, way too gruesome for a game. Yeah. Anyway, you get the idea. So I, kinda, I like this little, this little unit. I can dig it. And, uh, yeah. Also, as from last episode, uh, remember I said we might have to cancel game night? Well, we didn't. We had game night. And then we had another game night. Uh, we had a game night on Friday, on Friday and a game night on Sunday. Two game nights. These are board games, not video games. And, uh, yeah, the, the, first, um, the first game night, we, it was a larger group of people. And uh, it's really nice to have people over. And, you know, well, that's one of the things about having a house. You can have people over. We're starting to do it more. The pandemic threw a spanner in the works a bit, you know, and uh, to use a British turn of phrase, if I may, a spanner in the works. <laughs> Not a Spaniard. That's John Lennon's book. Anyway, it's like to throw a monkey wrench. Not a left-handed monkey wrench. That's from the song, uh, Grateful Dead song, Greatest Story Ever Told, or Samson and Delilah, one of those Bible-based songs. There's no such thing as a left-handed monkey wrench. It's sort of a, 
hazing thing they do in engineering circles, the new guy. Uh, can you get me a left-handed monkey wrench? And the guy goes crazy and everyone laughs. People, some people like that hazing kind of stuff. Gotta haze the new guy. But why? Can we all be... Can we just all get along? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, yeah, so we played... Um, <clears throat> what did we play? What was the first game we, we played? Um, we played Chronology, which is a great game. I love that game. It's uh, You have all these cards and different uh, events in time, and you have to sort of figure out what year they happened in, and you have this timeline in front of you. We also played um, Blank Slate, which is a, a very popular party game. It's ca- kind of like a simplified version of Match Game. You just... It's sort of like hot blank, and everyone has to write down what the blank is, or postal blank, you know, like any any, any you know any anything like that, blank car, and you have to write down an answer secretly. Then everyone reveals it, and then if you don't match anyone, you get nothing. If you match exactly one other person, you get three points, and if you match more than one other person, you get one point. So the idea is you want to, if you always come up with like like a you know, crazy answer, you'll never get a point. If you use the most common thing, you'll get points, but you want to try to find something that only one other person will 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 do. It's a good party game, but it's not like a real it's like a party game. It's not like a board a good board game. And then we also played a new game called um uh Linky. And I thought this was a great game. I didn't really get to play because I, I was the game show host for this one. The people that we were with, the group kind of didn't like it. It's it's definitely a different kind of game. So basically what you have is you have a – there's a card that has uh, four questions. They, they're pretty easy questions. They can be pretty easy questions. And you, you ask the question to the whole group, but no one answers those questions, right? The idea is that the answers to the four questions all share a common link, a common idea. And um, the first group that can get – the first person or the, or the first team that can get that, they sh- shout out Linky, and they guess what the, the, the common thing is. So sort of this multi-level thing. You have to sort of think the answers or write them down, confer with your team, and figure out what the connection is. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't think we were really quite – it was maybe not the right group or not the right setup or people weren't ready for it. But I thought it was a good game, and I, I would like to try it sometime for real. Anyways, uh, so on Sunday it was just our neighbor's uh, – Fab and Sarah, they're the ones whose wedding we went to in Italy. And they're really into games, so we were able to play the more real board games. So we actually, the first game we played was Whiz War. Yes, the game that first came out in 1985 by Tom Jolly. Uh, the latest edition is the ninth edition that I got on a Kickstarter. Um, it's still pretty much the same game. It's just what they call a classic beer and pretzels game where... It's basically each person is a – we're playing four players, so it's a, you can play up to six players on this, this version. Uh, four wizards in this dungeon, and the idea is you have to steal uh, the other wizards' treasures and bring them back to your home base. Or uh, you can kill the other wizards, and you need two victory points. So each treasure is worth one victory point, and each time you kill another wizard is worth one victory point. So it's a crazy game. It's, it's, it's a really cool game, and I've played it before uh, – my friend Brian, one of the three weasels, he he's a fan of the game. He even gave me an earlier edition of the game. The game is uh, something I've been fascinated with for years, but only played a few times. So I was so happy to play it. And uh, we had a great first game. 
Then we played a game called Takenoko, which was uh, a newer game where you have to farm uh, bamboo on these hex tiles of land, and you have these secret goals that you're doing. So it, it was really cool. You have a little figurine of a farmer or the gardener, and then there's a panda bear that eats the bamboo, and it seems really good. So we, we, we it got too late. We had to call that one short, but uh, a lot of gaming over the weekend, so quite fun and quite social, too. Rather than a little pocket-sized video game that I was playing by myself, actually hanging out and playing games with other people can be good, too. It's called socialization. It's very necessary for the human, the human spirit at some level. All right, I'm in the basement now doing some laundry. Um, yeah, talking about games, I, I thought I was uh, getting to the point where my Flea Devil Solitaire I've been working on for 17 years is almost at a point where it's finished. And I do think that, um, you know, I'm trying to get the next print edition of the book out. I've been working on it a lot this weekend. Whether or not I'll get it out this month is questionable, though I would like to. Uh, but I've certainly locked it at this point, so um, it's going to have up till October. So I'm not going to add. I mean, because, uh, yeah, it's locked for October. I hope I get it out. I'll get it, hopefully get it out by the end of the year. But anyway, um, and then in the book, the print book, will be the rules to Flea Devil Solitaire, which I do need to clean up a little bit. But there was one final rule. I think this is the, this is the end of the rules because the game is so great. I played constantly, and I do feel it's gotten so much better over 17 years. It's very strange if you step back and look at this. It's been 17 years of developing this this game. Unlike any other solitaire game out there, you hold the deck in your hands the whole time. So I've talked about it a lot. You can actually find the rules right now. Just uh, go to uh, onsug.com and then there should be... Yeah, if you, if you go to onsug.com slash book, there should be a link to the latest edition of the PDF and then that will have, at the at the end of the main first part, will have the uh, Fleet of Solitaire rules. As far as I know, no one else is playing it. The new rules have made it a bit more complicated, but I think it's made the game so much better. I should at some point do a series of videos really describing the game as I think it could bring a lot of gaming pleasure to so many people just with a regular deck of cards. So the final rule is parking lot of getting, which is sort of for lack of a better term. If the two parking lots touch, then uh, you can uh, remove one and then, which essentially means they're sort of closing the, with the other parking lot. It's getting towards the end of the day, the flea market. And then the card that was next to the... Right, there's only going to ever be one card that's next to the parking lot that moves into the easy go because, right, one of the parking lots has to be at the bottom of the market. So you can then send the card that was next to it anywhere else in the market. Usually you would want to go to a match, though you could go to make a, um, you know, walkie-talkie or a devil event, possibly, you know. Don't worry if you have no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, Parking Lot of Geddon is uh, perhaps the final addition to the the rule set, and uh, you know I really have to get this game out there. I mean I I I, I mean uh, it's uh, it's too good just for. I mean I've been the only one playing it, and I play it every day. I have my upstairs deck, my downstairs deck. What's great about it is you just play the game. You can set it down, and then you can pick it up and continue the game at any point, since it's all one deck. That's what I'm trying to say. 
And talking about the book, uh, I it's weird because over the weekend, um, it felt like the sort of the drama with that little handheld uh, video game kind of was intertwined with the final um, stages of designing the cover. Uh, as you may recall from last time, I chose this sort of dark orange color called Galliano. And then there's uh, two colors that are there's a electric violet and Caribbean green. So I, since last time we talked, I that section at the bottom that is violet that shows that city, I made it smaller, which feels like it, it's really made the cover feel a little better laid out. That sort of uh, that shape, which is sort of like a sideways hourglass, does represent how we're sort of transcending time and space. It's like I mentioned, you took an hourglass and turned it on its side. Right, how we have a connection with the future. That sort of symbolizes that. But I also wanted to get the green in there, and I tried a few things, and eventually those little tiny triangles in the little circles on the logo, which is meant sort of to invoke kind of like a car radio tuning and volume, and I put the little green in there, and I think that's great. And I, I've i tried a few other things, maybe taking away the border, making everything smaller. I've tried so many, and I think we've finally arrived at the correct cover for this edition of the book. It's been a long process. But yeah, it felt like weirdly like intertwined. Like uh, the process of design, of finalizing the book cover and then all the issues with this little video game. I know that doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense, but maybe it does make some kind of sense. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> that should be coming soon. And I really like how the book is coming along. I mean, it's uh, much better, obviously, than the last edition. Uh, it's going to probably weigh in at about 200 pages less. The previous one was 700 pages. This will be about 500. That's be- that's because I'm not putting every single uh, show art image in the main book. As I felt it was a bit excessive, what I have now is I have four images along the bottom of every single page that has show listings, and those are four from those listings. Um, I feel it gives you the flavor, it gives you the visuals without kind of being overwhelming, because all the all of the images will be in the extended version, the digital version, which, of course, there is currently a digital version which has all of the art for a few shows, like the Overnight Escape and Fusebox and, I think, um, Meandering Mouse. Um, hello? Tell them what tomorrow is. Oh, yeah, tomorrow is our uh, 26th wedding anniversary. Yes, it is our 26th anniversary. Well, apparently it wasn't. I had to remind you. Well, well, last year was the big one, 25. Well, and we. Yeah, it's true. 26. That's uh, half of the number of months in a year. Half of a normal deck of playing cards. Yeah. No, it's yeah. It's a big day tomorrow. 26th wedding anniversary. Anyways, now the movie review I'm going to do seems like it's it sort of, uh, yes, I've been married for 26 years. And I saw a low-budget cyberpunk movie. But I thought this <coughs> this is interesting. As uh, how, did, how did this start? I, I don't know why I was on Amazon Prime and I 
I decided to look up. I saw something that really it was a cyberpunk something. I decided to look up cyberpunk on Amazon Prime, and I found a a movie from 2016 called uh, 2047 Virtual Revolution, and uh, it's a low budget movie that is. Uh, if it, so, I think how you can describe it is Blade Runner with VR, because Blade Runner did not have VR virtual reality universes. So this is what normally makes sense is there is some kind of a virtual universe in most cyberpunk worlds, but they didn't really have it in, in Blade Runner. So this movie is uh, super influenced by Blade Runner. Everything about it is like Blade Runner. The, the main guy. And by the way, the main character's name is Nash. A Nash I didn't find on, on, on my recent Nash episode where I talked about all things Nash. This guy's name was Nash. And this is low budget. This doesn't star anyone you've ever heard of. Um, I think it takes place in Neo-Paris. It's like in the European Union or something, but everyone speaks English in it. Um, but it's it's not it's not too bad. It's actually a pretty good movie. So it's interesting. It's sort of like, uh, yeah, so you take Blade Runner, but it's in a world where there's this these virtual realities you can go into. You sit in this chair and these electrodes go on your head, yada, yada, as we've always seen. But like most of the world is uh, completely addicted to these games and they don't really do anything other than play these games. right? So it's kind of this bleak vision of the future. So Blade Runner plus the, the VR thing. And this guy is kind of like a, you know, sort of a, a detective kind of guy, an investigator. And, he's, and there's all these different factions. There's like, you know, the corporations, there's Interpol, and there's the revolutionaries and all this other stuff. And uh, I think this has all the makings of a cult film. It's it, it's very rough around the edges, very derivative, but there's something about it that actually is, uh, I don't know, it's a very likable, I, I like the film. I might even want to watch it again. Something I had never heard of before. Uh, 2047 Virtual Revolution. Kind of an interesting little movie. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, the plot also, uh, it's an interesting structure to the plot as well. But it's very low budget and very, you know. But so, someone somewhere said it won like a special effects award because it does have some very interesting special effects. I guess in 2016 they were able to do a lot of computer-based effects cheaply. That's a long time ago now, 2016. Yeah. Anyway, seems like everything is a long time ago now. What the hell? Um. Oh yeah, this, these two f- videos I, f- I have forgotten about. I call them forgotten videos. This is going to be a new segment on the show. And now in the Overnightscape, it's time for forgotten videos. But this pisses me off because these are videos that I talked about on the show. I know I'm re- I remember talking about them on the show, but I couldn't find them. I couldn't even remember like how I would have described this. So the first one is a time travel TV show very much along the lines of what I was talking about my dream um, I feel like I can probably find this if I spend more time so there was this very sketchy very like weird streaming service a video streaming service that they only were showing like two different TV series on it and I know I talked about it a, like a year or two ago right and one of the shows they were showing was this uh, time travel show from like 2009 or something. And 
I had always been to kind of watch it. Yeah, it was a whole thing, and I can't find any. I can't find the name of the show or the streaming service or anything. I, I'm, I'm just like I'm at, at some point, and when I've had issues like this, at times I just look through every bit of my show notes to find it. Uh, I talk about so many topics and so many things. It's hard to like you know, like figure out what was it. But yes, I could probably just estimate when it was. I think it was probably within the past years, probably 2022. So I could just read all the show notes for 2022. I may have to do that to find this. Uh, if I, or if I could just remember the name of that streaming service. Yeah. Uh, I think they were advertising on Facebook. That's how I found them. But it just, there was like no, they had this, the whole thing was like you could have this chat room and you could talk about the show while you're watching it. But there's no one in the chat room. So that kind of annoyed me. That's a forgotten video series. The other one, this really annoys me because I remember there was a mu- a K-pop music video. And it's funny, I've been, you know, I was really into K-pop, pretty much just Luna. Remember the band Luna? I actually saw them live in Times Square. There was something really special about Luna. And since they broke up, and they've some of them are actually back in uh, different bands. There's the Odd Eye Circle is back and Lucemble, um, but I don't know, I've, I've kind of lost interest I was only really interested in the main Luna project. I do try to check in the K-pop now and then. It just doesn't really hold my interest. It was just that, again, it was just that one that one group that was so special. I'm so glad I got to see them live. Even though that Chu wasn't there. She was in the process of being fired before they all quit. But I remember seeing a music video that was really like these crazy special effects and it had all these like references to I think it was like references to biblical stuff and like Gnosticism and all. It was this amazing video. And I, and I have this memory of recording the show, The Overnight Escape Here. Was that my, I was like cat sitting at my father's house within the past couple of years. And there was this like amazing video. And I could have sworn it was the band Le Seraphim that recently had a crossover with Overwatch 2, right? They, they made a music video with the characters from Overwatch 2, the, the video game. Then Overwatch 2 had those skins in the game that you could buy and stuff. It was like a cross-promotion. I could swear it was them, and there were, like, dragons, and like, crystal, like, islands in the sky. There was, like, I, I remember this video as seeming really cool. And I even think I talked about it on an exit ramp or something. I could not find hiding or hair of this video. I tried everything. I searched my show notes. I searched my YouTube watch history, which doesn't go back that far. could find nothing. Another forgotten video. I just can't remember... I could swear it was the the Seraphim or something. Nmix, one of those groups. Again, nothing. I cannot find anything about it. That's even more mysterious. These forgotten videos. I'm telling you. I'll keep looking though. If these things I usually eventually eventually I'll find them, but it just annoys me. Um. So the other night. I was like, uh, you know, in kind of a weird mood. I guess like lately there's been some days where there's there's a feeling in the air. It's just so strange. It almost feels like how you would feel if you were living through similar circumstances as the characters in the dream TV show I talked about at the beginning of the show, that where, where the timeline is constantly shifting and you're forgetting about what really happened and there's these new things. Like it just... 
weird feeling, especially yesterday. It was a very strange energy in the air. Um, I know there could be many explanations for this. Why do things seem so weird? But anyway, believe me, I, I don't uh, hold to any one possible explanation. There's many possible explanations. What the hell's going on here? But anyway, so I was like, uh, you know, it was later and um, I was going to just go up in the Overnight Escape studio, go on my computer, and I... Uh, I had this. Uh, remember, I bought that. Uh, accidentally bought that uh, celebrity tequila, which actually wasn't bad. I'm not going to get it again. But it's so embarrassing. The 818 tequila that was made by uh, Kristen Jenner. What was her name? Something Jenner, Kathleen Jenner, or something. Bruce Jenner. Sorry, Caitlyn Jenner's daughter. Um. Yeah, whatever her name is. I didn't realize it, so I had this embarrassing celebrity to kill. So I was more than happy to finish it up. I had one more, you know, one, one more shot left, basically. And then I at, at at the store the other day, I bought one of those little sea, you know seaweed snacks. It comes in the package, and it's those individual pieces of seaweed that's very, very tasty and very addictive. You know those seaweed snacks. It's become a very standard snack in America. Seaweed snacks. Somehow America has embraced seaweed. I know in the past people would have been like, "Ew, seaweed," you know. People weren't very adventurous with food in the past. But anyway, so I'm like, I'm like, and then I had a few other things to do. I'm like, I just have to finish these few. I got to do the dishes, whatever. Then I can have my seaweed and tequila. All I want is seaweed and tequila. And it was the greatest thing ever, having seaweed and tequila. It's just one of those moments, you know. I don't think I could even reproduce the moment. I could buy more tequila, buy more seaweed snacks. But just in that one moment, there was like two great tastes that go great together, you know. And uh, so it made me wonder, you know, what about seaweed cocktails? And I saw, I looked it up briefly, and I saw, like, yeah, you know, um, there were some some seaweed cocktails out there, but I'm like, eh, whatever. But then I found this today. I actually figured in a bottle the drink most likely to um, <coughs> be flavored because the liquor that is flavored the most is vodka, obviously. So I was like, is there a seaweed-flavored vodka? And turns out there is. There is a seaweed-flavored vodka. It's called Shanty. Shanty Seaweed Botanical Vodka. Right, let's see what we can find about this. I have a link. I don't know why this link is not working. Um... Everything's so manual still on these phones because we don't have the good artificial intelligence yet. Confirm. So this is from the UK. Shanty Seaweed Botanical Vodka. I'm like, I want this. I want seaweed vodka. I need it. Okay? And on this website, which is in the UK, it costs 38 uh, pounds and 99 pence or whatever. So, I mean, I know, so it's probably about 50 bucks in the U.S., right? Um, This small batch botanical vodka offers you an experience like no other. An expertly crafted, intricate blend of hand-foraged organic British seaweeds, including kelp, gutweed, sea lettuce, and pepper dulse, creating stunning undercurrents of umami flavor. 
This subtle depth of flavor is further enhanced by ripples of wasabi, galangal, yuzu, bergamot, and sea buckthorn. Hailing from Dorset. Oh, interesting. Remember, remember that song, Dorset, per- Dorset Perception, from Spangl's uh, Tales of the Inexpressible? A play on words of Dorset Perception by Aldous Huxley, yada, yada. Dorset Perception. Now, each botanical vodka is separately vacuum distilled to extract and retain the freshness that nature intended. Finally, an added pinch of sea salt remineralizes the purest of water with which the spirit is cut. Let your taste buds take the plunge and transport yourself directly to the water's edge and the coast. Seaweed vodka, right? I'm sold. I want to buy it. So, it turns out there is a website selling it in uh, in the U.S. Great. It's called Cask Cartel. Okay, great. I can actually get this seaweed vodka from Cask Cartel. They do apparently ship it in the U.S. What, is it, what did they feature in Rolling Stone, Men's Journal, and Us Weekly? Did they really? Hmm. Well, seaweed vodka. It, it, everyone wants that. <laughs> Let's see how much it costs. So as we said, for 40 like 39 pounds. What is that, like 50 bucks or something in that range? So it's, I go to this website, Cask Cartel, Premium Spirits, and... Uh, what? $190? No! 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 What the... A- what? $190? That's not cool. I mean... It's not worth, it's worth, and I saw another site that had it for like $45 in the U.S. They're like, oh, it's not available. These people, are they, are they charging this, what, 400% premium? Because it's, would it be 300%? No, you know what I'm saying. $190 versus like $50? That's ridiculous. I'm not going to buy it. I'm not going to buy it. It's ridiculous. How dare they? What are they? I mean, I, I understand. If you're desperate to get it, you're gonna pay that. I'm not gonna pay that much. Jesus, wow. I, I, I'm gonna keep looking if there's any other ways to buy it. This is ridiculous. I was so hyped up about getting seaweed flavored vodka, and now my, all my dreams are dashed by this uh, despicable company and their practices. Do you think they say at some point, oh, our prices are a little high because we, we have to import? No. Don't even sell it then. If you're going to charge for a $50 item, you're going to charge $200? Don't even sell it. Don't even sell my item. What do you do? Don't even do it. It's ridiculous. Ay, ay, ay. Can you imagine? I can get a really nice uh, a single malt scotch for $200. I mean, it's going to be much better than whatever this. I'm sure the seaweed vodka is fine. It's just kind of a novelty item. Please. Really upsetting. Maybe I'll have to get it next time I go to England. Anyways, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's about it for today. Uh, the hell? Weird times, okay? Is there really time travel going on and the past is changing? No, it's just I'm influenced by all the science fiction that I watch. It's, it's, it's not real. Is it real? There's no proof. It's what they want you to think. Who's they? 
time travel people. Anyways, thanks so much for patching into this episode of The Overnightscape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora. We're here in uh, New Jersey, Nutley, New Jersey, Tuesday, November 14th, 2023 is the date currently. I know, it doesn't sound like the right date, but as far as I know, that is the date. Yeah. Uh, we are here uh, in Onsug Radio, broadcasting from inside a book. And you can get the book. Just go to onsug.com, O-N-S-U-G dot com. That stands for Overnightscape Underground, O-N-S-U-G. And uh, you can hear all the latest shows. You can buy the book. You could right now buy the previous edition of the book uh, called The Onsug, published in 2021. That's also a long time ago now. Why are all these dates so such a long time ago now? We're so far in the future. Well, I guess it's like that for any time. If you were back in, like, 1981, you'll be like, oh, man, 1959 was such a long time ago. Yeah, it was. That's how time works. Wherever you are in time, there are times prior that are all a long time ago. Unless you're right at the beginning. Like, like the, if, if time just started and it's, like, one year later, you, you, you can't say, oh, wow, it's, like... There are no dates. There's only it, time just started. But can you go back that far? Yes, I would hope so with a time machine or some sort of time superpower. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Go to onsug.com. Hear all the latest shows. There's many other hosts besides me on the channel. You can, and the main thing about this channel, you have to understand, is that we have archived all the shows we've done. This has been going. This project has been going for over 20 years, and there are over 14,000 hours of content, which is over one year and seven months of solid audio. That's how much audio we have in the archive. Who has? Who, who else has this kind of stuff? We're also a non-commercial project. We don't charge money for anything. We don't do advertising. We don't do Kickstarters or Indiegogos or what have you. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I right. It is a purely non-commercial project, very unique. It's not like other podcasts that are out there. And uh, mass amounts of content, very focused on preservation, on into the near and far future. This is a very unique project. Uh, congratulations for being one of the few people on planet Earth that have actually heard of it, as we are also rather obscure, to be honest. Hopefully we'll be less obscure at some point. We need to have some some degree of popularity in order to for people in the future to find us maybe i should start putting ads in random like obscure magazines that people in hundreds of years will see and then look it up sounds like a plan what magazines should we use the magazines that people are likely to look at in the future i probably should have been doing this already for many years hmm. well if once you get a time machine i'll go back in time and suggest it to myself but then that, that could mess up the whole timeline we don't want to do that or do we <laughs> the timeline's already so messed up what, what what's another small uh alteration gonna do i don't know but you see what i'm saying this is really uh an amazing archive of stuff and you could spend years and years and years listening and uh, hopefully you will. And uh, this is something, again, we want everything to be available for free forever. And we want people to listen. That's why we're doing the shows. There's a certain sense of camaraderie, socialization, 
and just communalism. I don't. I'm really lacking the right word well, for a radio show like this. Even though it's just me talking, it's just sort of a monologue show. I feel all of you out there that we have this kind of connection. We have this little um, group or this little whatever you want to call it that uh, I always felt listening, like listening to Howard Stern, for example. I felt like I was part of this large group of people out there listening to this stuff. And it was just something about it, sharing ideas, concepts, stories, memories. There's something about it that is very hard to define, but it's something that I really love. I really do truly love doing this and sharing all this stuff with all of you and all the other people on this channel doing the same thing. It's something I feel that is um, cool. <laughs> it's awesome. I dig it. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you understand what I'm saying. Um, yeah, and, and it, whatever, when it, wherever and whenever you are, if you can help out to help keep this stuff preserved, preserve the audio, preserve the knowledge of, of this, uh, this uh, network, this channel here, I think people will enjoy it. Thank you. Your voice can be in this archive very easily by participating in a program known as Overnightscape Central. <laughs> Each week, PQ River out in Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, puts forth a new topic, and you, yes, you are invited to record a segment of any length on that topic. And uh, let me see if you put the new one. The new one should come out today. Uh... No, no, it's not out yet. So the last episode was about 80s movies, and the next topic, which should come out today, is what you're listening to. So I recorded about all the different music I'm listening to lately. Though I was actually, I was actually going to... Uh, I, I forgot to mention, like, King Gizzard and, and um, their new album and Goat, that, that kind of stuff. I was going to mention that. I forgot, though. There's so much stuff to listen to. <laughs> But mainly you should focus on listening to Unsug Radio, yes. Because not only is it this part where I uh, talk about all sorts of things, there's also what's coming up, uh, a conglomeration of audio goodness, uh, music, audio clips, and unexpected uh, surprises. And this feature has been going uh, over 10 years now, right? The Overnightscape has has had this feature and uh, you're about to enter there now I think you're going to enjoy it a pocket universe suspended in time and space and star stuff known as the other side what if two ordinary guys took control of a nuclear power plant? That would be bad. It would be interesting, but bad. What if two regular Joes took control of the Vatican? That would be sacrilege. What if two dudes took control of the Chicago Cubs? <laughs> it wouldn't make any difference, would it? Nope. Well then, what if two well-informed young men took charge of a network newscast? Now that would be good. That would be News Weasels, an unusual look at an unusual world. Saturday at 8.30 Eastern and Pacific, only on E. On the Universal Night Audio Trip, let's get moving. Walk out the door. The sky is overcast. Some kind of late afternoon small city street. People are walking away from a street fair that has just closed with big orange foam hats. Next to the street is a field. The ground is wet. Must have rained earlier. We walk out into the wet field. The mountains in the distance beckon. Someone in a costume is walking the same way we are. The mountains are fake. They are just a painting. The backdrop. The costume is full of bright colors. 
bringing to mind a parrot, or a pirate, or a rag doll, but seems to be in reference to a type of wandering adventure. There is a gazebo here, but the explorer is walking away. To enter the gazebo, press 1. Or to keep following the explorer, press 2. But I know you can't press them right now so we will turn around and go back to the town, the normal town. Let's go sit down at the outdoor seating area of the restaurant over here. It looks kind of cool and interesting. It's called Magic Smup. Kind of a quirky name. It reminds you of the word Shmup, short for shoot em up, a video game genre. But in this case the Smup part feels more like a reference to fairies, Smurfs, or other small, whimsical fantasy humanoids that just want to eat and have fun in peace. With a little mischief thrown in of course. You will order some beers, and we will now talk about the world. It's getting darker now and the city is lighting up. I love the sense of possibility the bright signs in a city night seem to radiate, like anything could happen. What is the Rush song with the lyric anything can happen? Open your personal computer device and search out the words. The result is Prime Mover. Yes, from the Hold Your Fire album. Hold your fire, keep it burning bright. Hold the flame till the dream ignites. The spirit with a vision is a dream, with a mission. But that song isn't called Hold Your Fire, it's called Mission. What isn't this supposed to be ramp fiction, the story of you, an adventurer, or was that you back there, the multicolored ragdoll explorer, from another dream? The beers come, we ordered the sour beers, this new sour flavor, didn't you have some a few weeks ago, and weren't too impressed at the time, but now you're been thinking about it, and want more? This is the story of you having beer in a whimsical town. All the jolly people skulking by with scowls and sadness, as they are not happy with the life they lead in this magic town. Can we help them? Can we put on a puppet show for them, to help them forget their pathetic life? But we need to set forth on an exploration, we need to find the museum, because tonight, thus the night, is the night they stay open late. They may even have a sleepover night tonight, where you can stay overnight in the museum. But we probably would have had to get tickets in advance. And I think you need to bring your own sleeping bag and other such things. But we can still go and hope for it to be a magic museum with magic fun times. But hold on, can this town have a real giant backdrop of mountains at the edge of it? It doesn't make sense. What could be holding it up? It was a huge flat image of a mountainous terrain. This is all meant to be a place you can be in, you can live in. But it is just a phantom thought, just an audio paragraph read by the woman computer voice, your friend in this most excellent trip. We finish the sour beer, after having some kick-ass onion rings, and are feeling good, and pay the bill. Off to the museum we go, it is called the Museum of the Inhibited Smup. It is all about a smup, like a little goblin kind of guy, who is inhibited in life and has trouble enjoying the magical hijinks. Each room, or exhibit features detailed dioramas of the smup and his difficulties in life. We just the nearest remarked do not enter, and rip open the door and run into the darkness within, into the basement of the pointless museum, where there is one last exhibit. It looks very old, and in AC and writhing over the top it says, Ramp Fiction, Magic Smup, read to you by the computer woman. It is a scale model of you, listening to this, hunched over and enthralled by these words, as the real world, your real world, is shown in a backdrop of the exhibit, and you are there.
1000-1000-3HR Hemi Sinister Review Beverages Frutapia I was mildly fascinated by the sudden appearance of Frutapia even after I found out it was produced by Coca-Cola. Then the TV ad started, and Frutapia began to take on a horrible visage shared by the likes of Woodstock 94 and other hyper-corporate 60s revivals. I hate the TV campaign for Frutapia, simply because it seems so insincere. It looks like Coca-Cola wanted to out-snapple Snapple, so they went for the flakiest, most spaced-out image they could. Only problem is, trying to be psychedelic in a deliberate, focused, careful manner, as in the ads, is most distasteful. The best example of the yucky politically correct psychobabble on the ads is if you can't judge a fruit by the color of its skin, how can you judge people that way? Please. I've tried most of the flavors, and they're nothing to write home about. They are. Strawberry Passion Awareness. Fruit Integration. Citrus Consciousness. The Grape Beyond. Lemonade Love and Hope. Pink Lemonade Euphoria. Raspberry Psychic Lemonade. Cranberry Lemonade Vision. What's the deal? Half the flavors are versions of lemonade. I sure hope Fruitopia isn't center stage in 90s nostalgia, but it probably will be. For the mind, body, and planet. Give. It up already. Hot pepper. Tabasco sauce. The all-time classic, which I consume mass quantities of on just about everything, I tried it in coffee, but it didn't work too well. Produced on Avery Island, Louisiana, with peppers, salt, and vinegar as its only ingredients, Tabasco is truly one of the great pleasures of the modern world. Turkey cayenne pepper. This stuff is hot. Every single time I shake it onto my food I sneeze, usually two times. And talk about a pepper high. After eating a large amount of cayenne pepper, I just lie down in front of the TV, blissfully unable to move. A thriller. McCormick hot shot. This is a half black, half red pepper blend, which is pretty good. Not extremely hot, it is nevertheless a good accent to Tabasco and cayenne. Worth it. Taco Bell hot sauce. While not bad for its purpose, this generic sauce has a flavor which could be described as corny almost like a parody of what a true hot sauce should taste like. But within the milieu of Taco Bell foods and surroundings, it works well. Pretty hot, too. Jalapeno Tabasco Sauce A truly disheartening product, this green Tabasco sauce is not only weak in the heat and taste departments, but it's full of artificial colors and other crap. I hope Tabasco drops this rotten product ASAP if they haven't already. A crying shame. Cable Absolutely fabulous Comedy Central. A Sunday or two ago, they had an abfab marathon, and I sat there and watched all eight or nine hours of it. Apparently a descendant of the young ones, this awesome program is the brainchild of star Jennifer Saunders. It spoofs the fashion industry and the excesses of modern thought in a very funny, very clever, very smart way. Give it a chance it took me a few episodes before I got into it. Saffron Rules. Queen's Lifetime. Imagine a female Uncle Floyd combined with Larry King and you'll begin to understand this rather excellent program. The charismatic hostess covers a wide array of topics with guests and call-ins, and the whole shebang purrs with the hum of the promise of modern TV realized. Watch. Howard Stern E. Howard Stern had a previous show on E, the Howard Stern interview, which was most disappointing Howard loses a great deal of his appeal away from his horde of courtiers. But this new show, which is simply segments from his radio show videotaped, is quite good but it can't rival the experience of hanging around and listening to his 5-plus hour show every weekday morning. 30 minutes, less commercial time, leave one craving for more. The Baba Booey puppet is a must-see, though. Newsweaselzy. Uh, well, I really want to like this show. Its premise of two ordinary guys taking over a TV station, and surfing satellite TV transmissions is good, and the two fellows do a decent job of it, but the whole thing is very shaky at the moment. I wish them well, and hope they get the whole thing together. 
but I suspect this is yet another case where the manifesting a high concept proves far more difficult than expected. Instant Justice Court TV. Just like the People's Court, except it's in real small claims courts. Why such petty bickering is so engrossing I can't say, but it sure is. The real judges aren't Wapners, and the hosts are poor excuses for a Llewellyn, and Rusty is nowhere to be found, but the reality of it all makes up. Ow. This is Bob, the unassuming star of the Consumer Electronics Show. It's more than just a smiley face with glasses. Bob is actually Bill's latest contribution to friendly user interfaces and software integration. Today, we'll get to meet Bob and all the other new computer inventions here at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas on this special edition of the Computer Chronicles. Computer manuals, they're history. Nobody wants to read them. They never make sense. All I want to do when I buy my software is take it home and use it. Well, enter Bob, the newest program from Microsoft Home. It's based on the old KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. You have a conversation, essentially, with this guy. So, with Java Dragon or Rover Dog. Start the program, up comes Rover, and Rover says, what do you want to do? And you say, I want to open the calendar, and away we go. And Rover says, what do you want to do on the calendar? You want to add an event? You want to move an event? You want to see by different day? So it's just natural. It's like dealing with a person. And that's what we're expert at. We're not expert at dealing with computers. Bob is almost childlike. It applies a preschool-level game interface to serious tasks like keeping track of your finances or organizing your email. Well, for consumer users like us who already use PCs, we will never use it. But for the brand new user who's never had a PC, I don't think it's baby-like. I think it does represent the next generation of interfaces as social interface. And it does have ramifications of bringing more and more people into it. Bob has no manual, no menus, no help screens, no text commands. You manage your tasks simply by clicking on icons and moving around different rooms in Bob's house. While it may seem all too simple, Microsoft's chairman Bill Gates says despite the advent of Windows, computer software is still too hard to use. But still, there's something really lacking uh, that won't let us get into the, the broad market. And so we've been putting a lot of, of money into talking to experts, sitting down with users, really trying to discover where uh, is the, the solution to this incredible problem. We're trying to solve a really major problem out there. There are tons of people who want to use a computer and say, hey, this is a magic box that can really help me in my life. Let's get my hectic life under control. Do things for me. But either I'm a little afraid of it, intimidated, or even more importantly, I just don't have the time to learn it all. It's too complicated. I don't want to take classes. I just got to get on with life. With Bob, what we're trying to do is make sure those people can turn on the computer and get going. Bob comes with several built-in applications like a letter writer, calendar, address book, email, personal finance manager, and games, but the real power of Bob may be as a platform for new applications. The real strategy behind this product is to, again, get as many PCs sold into the homes or new users as possible, so they make this, what they call social interface, very easy to use to take away the intimidation factor. But realistically, what it does is it gets Microsoft's products into more homes, more PCs into more homes, and ultimately what it does is it allows them to sell more products uh, to these consumers over time. In fact, Microsoft is already offering the first add-in for Bob, a print shop-type package called Great Greetings. But Bob is apparently only the first step in Microsoft's effort to make computers easier to use. According to Bill Gates, the next step will be software you can talk to. 
you'll be able to talk to the machine, and it will use uh, voice recognition or so-called natural language processing to be able to understand what you do. Uh, it will be able to, as it talks to you, you'll see its lips move and, and all the different emotional responses that it will have will be incredibly rich uh, in the future. I've got a song from the picture. Would you like to hear something from that? Sure. Would you like to hear everybody wants to roll the world? Sure. Okay, boy. The home computer was clearly the computer. Nightlight brings you Australia's own Norman Dunstan. Kung Fu comedian Frankie Pace host Rickshaw's Take That Takeout Theater. Rock your brains with Teen Dream Debbie Gibson and Night Flight goes to the movies to preview Crocodile Dundee 2 and more. Join us for Night Flight's new filmmaker series with two bizarre offerings from Glasshouse Pictures and celebrate summer with the Cars, the Go-Go's and the Untouchables when Night Flight takes off to beaches, barbecues and bikinis followed by a viewer's choice profile of rock provocateur Malcolm McLaren. Stay with Night Flight for more movies, music, videos and comedy in stereo all night long. Kids, 5,000 Lizards, and Mr. Fabulous fight it out when Dynaman continues after this. Welcome back to Night Flight and the Adventures of Dynaman. And now Night Flight brings you Australian wild man Norman Gunston. This time he's out for blood. Horror movies of all time. Night of the Living Dead, George Romero's classic about flesh-eating zombies. Our story begins when a freak dose of radiation by one of America's unsuccessful space probes activates the brains of the recent dead. Made in 1968 in rural Pennsylvania, Night of the Living Dead is shocking in its graphic depiction of cannibalism. We now begin Night of the Living Dead. The following program may contain controversial material. Viewer discretion is advised. George Romero's classic, Night of the Living Dead, returns. And tonight's horror classic, Night of the Living Dead. Made in Pennsylvania on a budget of $114,000, Night of the Living Dead is one of the most controversial gore and guts exploitation films ever made. We return to Night of the Living Dead. Nightlight returns to Night of the Living Dead after this. In tonight's film, Night of the Living Dead, Zombies eat bones and intestines furnished by the local neighborhood butcher in the Pennsylvania community where this George Romero classic was shot in 1968. Now darkness descends on the Night of the Living Dead.
George Romero was born in 1940 and grew up in the East Bronx, where he became a fan of the macabre. His early influences dominate tonight's classic of unrelenting terror, Night of the Living Dead. An orgy of sadism made by filmmakers with no social responsibility. We return to tonight's classic, Night of the Living Dead. Bell is back and Night Fights got him in The Invisible Ghost. More after this. In 1931, the eyes of Bela Lugosi hypnotized audiences when he played the world's most famous vampire in Dracula. We now return to Bela Lugosi in The Invisible Ghost. We return to Bela Lugosi in one of his greatest roles as a mad doctor. After this, Lugosi has a split personality in tonight's thriller, Invisible Ghost. 